You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. All right, uh, quick survey question. How many of you are either, by show of hands, I'm going to give you all the designations and you tell me, you're either married, you've been married, you'd like to be married, or you know someone who is. Raise your hand, okay? Awesome. Wow, I think that's about everybody. Wow, that's pretty incredible tonight. So uh, here's the reason why I ask that is, is that I know for some people here tonight, uh, you are here right in the thick of it and saying, okay, I, I want to know how to uh, love my spouse better. Some of you are like, I'd just like to find a date if I could. Uh, some of you would say, I did at one point, but now not so much. And where does that fall into? And also some of us, we need to remember this truth. Sometimes and oftentimes we get God's truth to interpret and apply it to our lives right now, but sometimes we get it so that we are a carrier of it to someone else, right? We don't live in a vacuum. There's many people that you interact with that you need to share this with. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend these weeks throughout the summer talking about building a stronger marriage. And so once again, this, some of this is going to hit you right where you are right here right now. Some of you, this might be a building block. And also, many of you know this, I guarantee every single married person in here today would say this, I wish I'd have known a few things before I got married, okay? I wish somebody would have taught me a few things before I got in the middle of it. That would have been really helpful. So if that's you tonight, guess what? You're going to get a crash course, and we're going to be going through this. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. And um, let me tell you how these weeks are going to do. We're going to spend a uh, sessions really throughout the summer. There's going to be a few times that we're not going to have equip. Um, like there's a couple of times we're going to do like a kind of church-wide kind of ministry thing called Waypoint on Father's Day. Uh, 4th of July is on a Sunday this year, and we're planning the 4th of July celebration in the parking lot. We're just trying to see the noise ordinances of what we can get away with. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of kind of fun stuff happening, but throughout the summer months, when we're here at 615, if those things aren't happening, we're going to be talking about marriage. And where I want us to spend our time is, is that we're going to walk through Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, because I really do believe this, that if you understand the first few chapters of this book, you really get the whole thing. You get it figured out, okay? Uh, and so I want us to look at it this way, and we're going to start uh, tonight in uh, this kind of key phrase about formed and filled. That as God comes along, he forms us, and then he fills us with these things. And that's also how it relates to our lives, but also to marriage. So just as God formed and filled every aspect of creation, we must realize that our lives and even our marriages were addressed the same way. He forms it, he fills it. He forms our lives, he fills it. He forms marriages, he fills it with something good. And we cannot truly appreciate the gift of marriage until we comprehend why God gave it to us in the first place. So for us to really understand why, we've got to understand why it is given, okay? Um, have any of you ever gotten a gift at Christmas time? All the family staring at you and you open it up and you're really thinking, and you may have said it out loud, but you're going... What is it? Have you ever been there before? Like, ah, what am I supposed to do with this? And you're, and you're trying to figure it out. And that, that's kind of a bad case. But sometimes that's where it is. I don't even know what this is. I don't know what to do with it. And that is honestly where a lot of people would feel about marriage. Um, uh, many of, of us in this room, you may or may not have had examples that you walked with that taught you what marriage was. Some of us got married going, I got no clue what to do. Uh, people, when I mean, they were teaching me in church, they would say, you got to get married and you need to lead your wife. Lead your wife. And I said, where does she need to go? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't know. Like, where, what do you mean? Well, lead her to what? Lead her to where? Where am I supposed to take her? Um, and then I, I can remember the first, uh, the morning that I woke up to get married, June 12, 2004. I remember waking up and, uh, and thinking this. I was in my double wide trailer and I said to myself, I can't get married today. I, I still play Nintendo. Like, I just felt this way. Like, I'm not ready. Like, this is a grown man decision and I'm just not a grown man. I don't know what I am, but I'm not that, right? And at every stage of my life, I really do feel like, I don't know if I was equipped, but I do know this, that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for every good work. And folks, marriage is one of those good works. It's good work. God's Word can prepare us for it. And so no matter where you are, we're going to walk through this. As we look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, this verse here that you've got, I think is so important. And I would encourage you just to look at this phrase and your, a copy of your Scripture or there on the screen. But it says, so God created man in his own what? Image. In the image of God, he created him. Now notice this next phrase. Male and female, he created them. So let me ask you this question. Were males created in the image of God? Yes or no? Were females created in the image of God? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I thought there were differences between men and women. You are correct. Okay. But the most unifying principles of what it means to be a person means that we bear an image of God. We are to bear likeness to God. And so he creates us distinctly, but also we are created to bear his image above all else. And so I want to talk about this, about designed by God and for God, how that relates to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And, uh, and you, if you go back a few verses all the way um, to verse number 1, it says, In the beginning, what? God created the what? Heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 says, The earth was without what? Form and void. Okay, it had no form, right? No form about it. So God's going to form it. And it was void. Void means it has nothing in it. So he's going to fill it, right? So formed and filled. Formed and filled. No form, void, nothing filling it. And God is going to come in and speak into that. And he's going to change it. Because what he dealt with when he created was that it came from nothing. He wasn't using pre-existing materials. He wasn't taking Lego pieces and stacking it all together. He created out of nothing. And the earth was without form. It was nothing. Okay? Um, uh, there was a philosopher who one time said, okay, if God created the world out of nothing, obviously he had to have something to start with. No, if he had something to start with, he didn't create it out of nothing, right? That is nothing, nothing. So when he speaks into existence, it's coming out of nowhere, coming from him, and he's creating it. The earth is without form, and then he's going to uh, fill it. It was void. So at the beginning of creation, God created environments in the first three days, and he created inhabitants in the latter three days. First three days of creation, he forms it. Day four, five, and six, he fills it. Okay, I'll explain how that kind of works, but just make sure you get that down. At the beginning of creation, day one, day two, day three, four, five, six, first three days, God creates environments. He forms the world and everything that we know. Then on day four, day five, and day six, he's going to fill each of those environments with certain things to be able to fill what he's caused. Now you go, I thought this was the thing on marriage. Uh, why are we talking about creation? This is so important for you to get. You've got to get this concept. Because what God's going to do, he's going to kind of set the stage, right? Set the environment, and he's going to place things in that environment to live and dwell and operate within his presence. So this is how it shakes out. Uh, you see a column there, environments and inhabitants. I want to show you something. You see day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, right? Some of you may know all the days of creation, uh, right? Some of you may go, I know he created a bunch of stuff. I'm not exactly how it operate. I want you to look at day one and day four and know something about this. They're connected, okay? There's a sense in when God creates something on day one and three days later, he forms it on day one, he's going to fill it on day four. What he forms on day two, three days later, he's going to fill it day five. On day three, he's going to form something. On day six, he's going to fill it. Let me show you what I mean. Day one, God said, let there be what? Light. Light. And it was so. 
So he creates light. He creates day. He creates night. He puts a separation between light, day and night, so that we can see and do different things. He kind of puts a, a barrier there. How many of you are very thankful for nighttime so you can get a good night of sleep, right? Okay. Nighttime is this beautiful gift if you don't think about it. Nighttime resets life, you know? You ever had a day you feel like it just wouldn't stop? Bad news after bad news after bad news? You get to sleep. At least you get a little margin, right? Okay? You wake up a little bit refreshed. Here's a new chance, a new start here. Well, uh, so look at this. So day one, he creates light. On day two, what does he create? Sky and water. So he separates these things. So day one, he separates day and night. Day two, he separates the sky and water. So he pushes this stuff up here to be the sky and the space that we kind of know. And then he, he puts down stuff down there at the end to be water. And then day three, he creates what? Land. He kind of pushes that, that water back and actually puts pockets of land all over the earth where we're at, right? And, you, and so where we actually walk upon is what God created on day three. So these environments that he creates. Day one, he creates light. Day two, he creates sky and water. Day three, he creates land. Now look how day four, five, and six correspond with it. This is mind-blowing to me. I don't, I don't know if y'all get jazzed about it, but it was mind-blowing to me when somebody showed it to me. Because on day four, he creates the sun, the moon, and the what? stars now some of you are going wait a minute now sun gives light moon gives light stars give light but what have they already had for three days what they had light on day one but day four they get sun moon and stars what have they been doing where have they been getting light at the very beginning what god is the light if you go all the way to the book at the end of revelation it says the new heavens and the new earth we will have no need for a sun or lamp or moon. why because god himself will be our light so day one, day two, day three, the light comes actually from God. Day four, he just allows somebody else to get credit for it. So environments of day and night, day four, he puts the sun, he puts the moon, he puts the stars in place that governs that light. It governs the day, it governs the night. Environments and habitants. On day two, he creates sky and water, which is interesting because three days later, what does he create on day five? Birds and fish. Something to put in that sky, something to put in that water. He has already formed it. Three days later, he fills it. Follow me? So he does this kind of stuff. Day three, he creates land. And three days later on day six, what does he create? Land animals and humans. People who are walking around that land. He, he forms it day three, fills it day six. Right? Okay? Now this is just bonus points here. Uh, but one of the most beautiful things about this is um, if you think about the life of Christ, um, there is a day of the week where Jesus was crucified on. Okay? We call it Good Friday. Okay? Which um, So Good Friday, and then it says on the third day he would rise, and we come to church on Sunday because that's the day that he rose, right? Some of you are like, wait a minute, my math is messed up here a little bit, okay? Jewish calendar system, if I were to tell you, hey, I want to meet you on Monday, you know what I would say? Let's meet in two days. In a Jewish calendaring system, they would always say any part of today that's left is day one, and tomorrow is day two. So they just start counting. Today's, so you and I in our kind of Western mindset, I'll see you in a day, means 24 hours from now. They didn't think like that. They thought there's still a little bit of sunlight, day one. A little bit of sunlight tomorrow, day two. So when Jesus says, on the third day I will rise, he is dead on Friday, day what? One, he is in the grave on Saturday, day two, and then he rises from the grave on Sunday, day what? Three. So that, that's how this works. Now, I'll show you all that. You go, why, why, why did I say that? On day six is the day that Jesus dies. And look who was created on that day. Mankind. He dies on the day of which God had created Adam. And on that day of the week, he comes back to he rises from the grave on what day of the week? 
Day one, where God said, let there be. And what time did Jesus rise from the grave? When the sun came up. See, God is working all these little details about how he's doing stuff. Forming it, filling it, forming it, filling it, and literally setting the course for all of these things to come together. So he dies on Friday for the people that he created on Friday. And when there's let there be light on the day that he rose from the grave, when it said let there be light, it really, really was light when he shone from the grave. Now you go, that's a great theological thing. Why does that have to do with it? I'm getting there, okay? Because God first formed the structures and then filled them with substance. Fills the structures. Here's the environments. Let me set the tone. Let me set the page. Let me put all this stuff together here. And now I'm going to fill it with substance. I'm going to fill it with something to fill it. There's the environments. Here comes the inhabitants. Here's the structures. Here's the substance. Let me fill it with something good. And out of all those things, there's one thing that was created in God's image. Who was that? Man, male and female, he created them. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he puts these structures together. He fills them with substance. What is he filling us with? Mankind is the distinct part of creation meant to bear God's likeness and experience God's presence. So I know that you love being out in the mountains, right? Mountains show us the power of God, but they do not encapsulate God's presence. I know you love your dog, right? Your dog's not walking around the spirit of God. I think it's probably walking. My dog's probably walking around the spirit of the Antichrist some days. But anyway, um, there's a different form, right? But but here's the thing: mankind is a distinct part of creation. The only thing made in His image that's supposed to bear God's likeness, to be like Him, and to experience God's presence. He places them in the garden to walk with Him. He's not walking with everyone else. He's not walking with the animals. He's walking with Adam in the garden. And so this is the important part of it. Not only were you made by God, but you were made what? For God. You were made by God to bear his likeness, but you were made for God to experience God's presence. He formed you in order to fill you. He formed you in order to fill you. To fill you with his spirit, to fill you with his life, to fill you with good and precious, wonderful things. So it said it this way in, in the passage that really kind of speaks to creation in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, speaking of Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through and for him. So, folks, the question is, who made you? You would say God. But I would always just say, I mean, why did he make you? For him. You were made by him, but you were also made for him. And this is the reason why so many marriages get messed up. Right here. Because you think that marriage was made for you. And that's the problem. See, marriage wasn't made for you. It was made by God. It was also made for God. He formed it. And he filled it with things because there's a purpose by which he's doing. Not only was marriage made by God, but it was made for God. To display his goodness, to bear his image, and to be able to do something remarkable in this world. I always think it is absolutely astounding that if you think through there is one imagery, one imagery, where God says in his scriptures, hey, you want to know what marriage, or you want to know what God's love looks like? You want to understand how much Jesus loved the church? And you go, how would I know that? 
This is what Paul doesn't say in Ephesians chapter 5. He doesn't say, if you want to know how much Jesus loves the church, watch that movie that Mel Gibson put out, Passion of the Christ, right? Not a bad movie. It's good, but that's not what he says. Hey, you want to know how much Jesus loves you? Why don't you do a drama presentation in your church and really make it look... No, that's not what he says. You really want to know how Jesus loves the church? Here's what you look for. Look at the way that husbands love their wives. Uh-oh. I'll be honest. I know there's a lot of ladies in 2021 who have a real hard time with Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. There's a lot we got to unpack there. We'll get there soon, okay? But let me tell you this. There's also a pretty hard call, men, to be able to say, the world needs a visible, living, breathing illustration of the love of Christ for the people he has redeemed. So why don't you watch the way that husbands love their bride? I'll be straight with you. I don't live up to that every day. That's a hard call to say, live and love her like Jesus did. So if I go back to that, that movie, The Passion of the Christ, that I saw when I was uh, probably high school, college, or whatever, I can remember being moved, shaken by it, right? I can remember because I just thought to myself, like, oh my goodness, like, there's this, there's this picture I can remember back where Jesus had been beaten so bad, he'd fallen off the cross, and then the, the actor that's doing it, he finds himself crawling back to the cross. It's like he wanted to be there. Why? Because he wanted to block you and I from having to bear the punishment. He wanted to get there first. That's it, men. That's what we're supposed to do. Let me crawl on the object of punishment so my wife won't have to bear anything. I'll bear it in front of her. That's the picture. So women, I understand submitting to your husbands is a difficult. Men, you don't have it too easy either, okay? Be like Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's easy. That's what I do every Tuesday, right? This is challenging. Challenging call. But this is why it's so important. Marriage was not, it was made by God. It was made for God. So this is the question. I was doing premarital counseling just earlier this afternoon. And I asked this question, and it's always interesting, especially if you ask, you know, people who grew up in church, it's always kind of an awkward question, and I don't feel like it's awkward. I said, um, let me ask you this question. Who made marriage? God. I said, okay, another question. Who made sex? Simple question. Uh, I said, it's a simple question. It really is. And they don't say it loud. They go, God. It's like... <laughs> Oh, that's better. Tamper it down a little bit, right? I said, I know my grandmother would probably roll over in her grave hearing the same thing, but guess what? It was made by God. His idea. So you know what that means? It was made by God. It was also made for God, for his purposes. Well, what could God's purposes be in there? To do things his way, to live life according to his standards, to wait and keep pure by according to his, to be able to continue to bring other life into the world, do things his way. Yeah, enjoy the process, absolutely, but do it his way. It's only made by him, it's made for him. So if God's given me a gift, right? If I open up this gift, what is it, right? <laughs> this is how you do it. If you don't know what it is, you open up the instruction manual, right? To know what I'm supposed to do with it, right? Some of your men are like, I don't need it. Okay, good. Uh, that, that works really well all the time, right? Maybe we do. And God has given us an instruction manual to come with us. So if marriage was made by God, but it was also made for God, whenever we try to make marriage about something other than God, then rival that rival proves itself to be our God. So if you make marriage about anything other than God, guess what happens? That rival that's gaining your attention proves to be our God. Let me sh uh, show you how this fleshes out. So if you make marriage about happiness... Guess what that means your God possibly could be? Your happiness, right? Makes sense. So if your happiness is at the centerpiece of your marriage, what happens when you're not happy anymore? 
you walk from the marriage. But if God is at the center of your marriage, what happens when you're not happy anymore? You do what he says so that you can learn what joy truly means. You learn to find things his way. Now, if it's about you, you're going to bail every time it gets uncomfortable, right? But if it's about him, you come in and you do the work because it's showing something so much bigger than that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 is this way. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Did you catch it? So we come from God, from whom all things are, and not only from whom, but for whom. We exist, our marriages exist, our lives exist, our bank accounts exist, our extracurricular activities exist for God. Come from God, and they are also for God. Now, where this comes down is that you have to think through. So if we are formed by God and then filled with him, we have to think through well, how God uniquely designed you. Some of you, God really, really broke the mold on, right? Okay. So, I mean, every single person here, we're a little different, right? But you need to know this. You personally, you were formed to portray God's likeness and filled to enjoy God's presence. Folks, you were meant to look like your father. You were meant to enjoy the presence of your father. So God forms you, but the goal is that he fills you. So... Um, I think I did this a couple years ago in a sermon one time where everybody got real nervous, but I, I used about how we're supposed to reflect the image of God. I took a little mirror and a hammer, and everybody in the front row is like, I don't think you may sit in the front row for the next few weeks. Uh, but like, it has glass kind of shard through there, and then you open the mirror around. What happens to the image that you're supposed to reflect? It's all distorted and messed up. That's what sin does to us. The goal, the ideal is this, is that we are meant to portray God's likeness. We are supposed to be like him, and that we're filled to be able to enjoy God's presence. So why is, is that important? Because your spouse wants you to be more like God than to be just like him or her. Your spouse would be very thankful if you look more like Jesus, okay? If you talk more like Jesus, she'll be thankful. If you act more like Jesus, he will be glad. Um, I, I, we always laugh. Amanda and I will talk about this. But um, have you ever known those couples that the longer they live together, the more they look alike? You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? There's certain couples that you feel like, y'all kind of look like siblings. And, and sometimes I don't know if it's because their kids kind of, you start seeing features and together, but sometimes you just see them, you know, y'all really look alike. It's kind of weird. And then sometimes you see couples like, I do not know what she is doing with him. Okay, they do not look alike, right? They're very, very different, okay? Um, but, but with this, uh, the goal is, as we're going to continue to look at, the goal is not to clone your spouse, Right? There are going to be things that you're like each other in, but you're not supposed to look like each other. You're supposed to look like God. That's the goal, to reflect him, to be more like him. And so if, if I look how God uniquely designed me, I, my bride Amanda really would appreciate if I would act, live, and talk more like Jesus. She would never complain about that, ever. That's what she wants more than anything. And so with, while every person bears God's image, we each display it very uniquely. Every single person does it just a little bit uniquely. Um, God didn't make just cookie-cutter template approaches for every single one of us. There's a lot of differences between you and I. People around the table with you tonight, there's a lot of unique differences about each and every single one. So if we think about that, this is how it comes down to. That every person is uniquely formed with features and particularly filled with distinctions. So there's these outside external things, the way he formed you, your features are different, right? 
Some of you are tall. Some of you are short. Some of you have dark hair. Some of you have no hair. There's a lot of us that are different, right? Okay. There's different features that each of us have. God forms those things, right? But he also particularly fills us with distinctions. Um, have you ever like been around somebody who has a passion for certain things you just don't get? You just go, I mean, that's good if you like that. I just, I can't stand it, right? Like you're sitting there like, oh man, this is, this is movies on. You're just like, uh, I mean, honestly, there is no neutral fans of Star Wars. You either love it or you just go, I don't get it. I, I don't know which one's y'all's problem, right? You know, like, and somebody's like, how can you not get it? And you get so offended by it, right? Some of you are very much like on the um, oh, Hallmark movies, right? You just love them. And you're just like, oh, I just can't wait to watch another one and do the same thing. And, and some of you are, are not someone who is for it, right? Some of you, uh, I, I've heard this from a lot of people, some of you love racing. You love watching racing, and some of you are like, they just go around over and over. Like, I don't get it, right? Okay? We're just, we have different things about us. And, and so with this, if you break it down to your marriage, there are certain things that each of you have that are distinct from one another. Obviously, external form features that God makes. Men are very thankful that women look differently, okay? Women are very thankful that men look differently. There's features. There's forming things that are different. Praise God for that. There's also a particular field of distinctions. When you marry someone, you marry them... The good, the bad, and the indifferent, okay? <laughs> Just all their stuff, all their features. Um, <laughs> there were moments our first year of marriage that I would look at her and go, really? <laughs> that bothers you? Huh, didn't see that one coming, right? Okay, you start living with somebody, things just change, don't they? Okay, you just you start seeing little idiosyncrasies about it and whatnot that are just different distinction. And so when you look at Psalm 139, this is what you see. Verses 13 and 14 say it this way. For you formed my inward parts, God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, when you think of typically somebody who knits, who do you think of? Grandma. Grandma. Okay, right? Uh, yeah, you're just like, I don't know anybody else who knows how to knit. I just figure she does, right? Okay, you just see somebody. But what do you think about a, a grandmother knitting? Okay, um, if I think through a grandmother knitting, I do not picture her knitting while she's also looking at her iPhone scrolling through Instagram. Okay, right? Not... She's focused, right? Focused at the task at hand. No, I'm not making what I made last week. This one's different. I want to make it like this. And blah, blah, blah. I'm just working on it, working on this a little bit. No, I want it this way. No, no, no. Just very particular. God made you that way. God made you that way. Some of the things you go, why didn't he make me like this? Because he didn't want to. So all the stuff you can boast about, he did. Stuff you don't like, deal with it, right? Okay. <laughs> what you going to do? It just, it's there. We're... We're, so he makes us, he knits us together. I love that picture. Just like he's just just putting us together. And where did he knit us together? My mother's womb. Not afterwards. In mother's womb. Yesterday as we celebrated Piedmont Women's Center 5K and go and we were fighting for the right for life and trying to support. Uh, I, I was reading something recently and, and it just blew my mind. But um, a small distinction, but just to think about life that's created it. God's putting this stamp of image on us in the womb before we even see the light of day. You know that um, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Does anybody know what Luke's job was? He was a physician. He was a doctor. So, most likely, Luke had probably done a lot of medical stuff, probably even helped a woman through childbirth, right? Okay? Seems simple to us. And what's interesting is, is that he uses a word when he gets to a place where he's talking about... Um, that when um, John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, comes up to Mary 
And then she, he, uh, then when Mary speaks, do you remember what happened to John the Baptist in the womb, what he started doing? Boom, started flipping. Oh, my goodness gracious, right? She says, the baby in my womb just leaped the sound of your voice. The baby, okay? Look up. 2021, it does not say the fetus leaped in my womb. You go, well, you probably didn't know that word. You're exactly right. It's the baby, stamped with the image of God. Why is that so important? Because later in Luke's gospel, when the children are coming to Jesus and wanting to be touched by him, the disciples are going, get away, get away from him. He's too important for you. It says, let those babies come to me. Luke uses the same terminology as that child is in the womb as the ones that are wanting to get in Jesus' lap later in life. And I don't know why this is beautiful to me. I was like, wow, what a, what a beautiful concept. Okay, why? Because if God's knitting us together in the womb, stamping his image and burying our likeness and putting unique things on us, we, we have to understand. So he knits us together. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and thought, Lord, you did a wonderful job with me? Okay. Some of y'all do that too much. Okay. <laughs> but some of y'all don't do it enough. And, and this is the reason why. God doesn't make junk. You weren't flawed starting. Now, we flawed ourselves, right? The image, the template, his, his design, his stamp on us, it's not flawed. So if you feel like, yeah, but I don't feel like I'm wonderfully made right now. Well, if you aren't wonderful right now, it's because you aren't who God intended you to be. If you don't feel like you're a wonderful work right now, it's not because God made a mistake. It's because we do. It's called sin. So where does that come up from? How, how does that impact marriage? How does that impact your family? The more that I sin, the more that I mar the image of God, and the more I deprive my family from seeing what they need to see. They need to see a man who loves God and is trying to become more Christ-like every single day. And when I refuse to do that, I am taking away from them an opportunity to see God fleshed out before them in the way that I live, talk, breathe, and operate around them. And so for my family, if I think about it, if God has made this work wonderful, then why don't they always see it as wonderful? Because I'm making it about myself rather than him. Every sinful choice that we have made today at any point in our life is because we made it about us, not about him. So if marriage is made for God, by God, instead of it made for you and by you, we have to put it under that place. So if God uniquely designed you, it also tells us that God uniquely designed, guess who? Your spouse. For those who are married, you married somebody very different, right? I mean, strange sometimes, okay? Um, it is very, very different. So, so what does that mean? If, if she's different, if he's different. Well, your spouse was formed to portray God's likeness and filled to enjoy God's presence. And you go, wait, I thought I was. Exactly. He, she, your spouse, who are, your spouse was formed to portray God's likeness and filled to enjoy God's presence. So, if we think through it, your spouse is not intended to clone you, not to be like you. The goal of your spouse is to be more like Jesus, to be restore that image that is there. So that when you're enjoying marriage and family, you are seeing someone who bears the image of God in their likeness. In a marriage, there are obvious distinctions in how God formed and filled your spouse. So if you think through it, you notice very quickly. Are there formed differences of your spouse? Yes. Are there filled differences of your spouse? Yes. So the way that he or she is made, the way that he or she is filled is just very different. It's not a bad thing. It's just a different thing. And so one of the main issues that comes down to it, a lot of conflicts in marriage is this. When your spouse doesn't behave the way that you think he or she should. Why are you doing that way? 
Because that's the way she is. Why'd you act that way? Because that's the way he's wired. Right or wrong and different, whatever you want to say, there's a difference about it. And sometimes we want to make and put our image on our spouse rather than restoring God's image upon our spouse. I know this because you want your spouse to live and do every single thing that you say. You want them not to get upset about these things because you don't think it's upset worthy. You want them to act a certain way because you think that's best. You're not thinking about God's image. You're thinking about your desires. This is where the conflict comes. And so, if you continue going Psalm 139, verse 15, it says this way. My frame was not hidden for you. Let's think about your spouse this way. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the what? Secret. Nobody else. Just God and you. God decided how you were going to be. God decided how your spouse was going to be. Intricately, I love that word, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Oh, so specific the way that he made your spouse. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. This is mind-blowing to me. Are you ready for this? It is as if God has a book on his shelf of your life. It's not this book, by the way, okay? just for reference point, okay? There's another book now, okay? I'll use this one. God has a book on his shelf that says Travis Agnew, and it says July 28th, 1981. We brought him in this world. He knows my expiration date. He knows. I kind of like, can you tell me when? <laughs> How many of you wish that you would have the opportunity to read uh, last chapters before you got to it in your life? Anybody ever walked to a certain place going, if I'd only known this happened, right? I'd have done things different. Oh, God, if I could just seen this coming. God knew. Every single, every single chapter of your life, the one that you're living right now, he sees just as clearly as the last one. He knows every single one. He knows every single one about your spouse. In your books written, every one of them, the days were formed for me. So as he's intricately weaving us together in the depths of the earth, his eyes are unformed substance. He's, he's putting us together in a very unique, specific ways. So God spent focused time planning the details and the days of your spouse's life. God spent focused time planning the details. Specific things about how that person would be formed. But also how that person would be filled, the days that would fill up that book. Fill up before they were even lived out one time the days of that spouse's life. Here are these details. Here are these days they put out there together. So you go, well, so if God knows that, what's the big deal? Why does that relate to marriage? A refusal to accept how God made your spouse is an indictment of his intended design. And there are many spouses who are pushing against and warring against how God made that person. Um. I recently talked with someone who was going through some marriage issues and they said, I feel like I have lost myself in this marriage. I feel like my spouse has taken away my dignity, my hope, my passions, the things that I felt good at. I feel like it's all been depleted and I don't know what to do. And the problem was I couldn't argue with this person. It does sound like it. God wired this person, formed this person, filled this person to do these wonderful things. And it was as if that spouse had been an instrument of Satan to take away all that stuff. I don't like the way you're formed. I don't like how you're filled. I'm going to change everything about you. And yet, the good that God put in this, this person didn't like. and just kept pushing and kept working and trying to recreate 
and install a different version of it, and it's just not the way it's to be. So, so you go, well, but, I mean, I, I was joking uh, with, with my wife about this yesterday, but there was something I did in the house. Oh, uh, I can't remember what it was, but there was something I would typically not do. But I jokingly said, did you see what happened here? And she just laughed and giggled. I said, you trained me in a couple of things. Okay, it only took a few years in, but I have learned something, right? There are certain things that she just likes. And I, I finally, about you know years in, going, okay, I, I'm starting to see that. Maybe I can start making some changes. And, and it's funny because a lot of people, though, they will get married. And you see these glaring things about this person. And you go, don't worry. Once I get married, I can change that. Any of y'all ever try that? How well did it work for you? Okay. You go, well, it worked pretty good. All right, how well did it, your spouse have it work for them? Okay. Probably not so good. And, and so this is where, where I come down to. You have an idea of what a spouse should be, act like, live like, talk like. But what if your idea is not what God's idea is? And you're trying to force something on that God's not trying to force on. God never asked you to change your spouse, but to support him in transforming your spouse to be who God desires them to be. You don't need to change the spouse into your image. We got enough of you, okay? We don't need two of you. The world's fine. We do not need a copy of you. You know what we need? We need your spouse in the center of God's will. That's what this world would benefit from. And a refusal to accept that is forcing some things. Now, you may say, wait a minute. But what if my spouse is in sin? What if my spouse is struggling? Okay, that's everybody here, right? So that's why I'm saying it this way. You are to support God in transforming your spouse into who God wants your spouse to be, not in who you want to be. You know why? promise you this. I know you don't think so, but God's version of your spouse is a lot better than your version. God's version of you is a whole lot better than your version of you. So let me surrender and walk and step in, into this kind of deal, right? So here, here's how this works. When marriage doesn't work, it is because we are refusing God's plan on how to form it and to fill it. When we get to a certain place where marriage isn't working, where we're struggling, it is because we are refusing God's plan. We're refusing God's plan on how to form it, how he puts it together, how to fill it. God has formed marriage in a certain way, and he has filled it with certain things. There are many things that he wants to do in our life. So I go back and, and, and say it this, this way. When I think through uh, uh, the, on, when I proposed to Amanda on March 29th, 2003, some of y'all think I'm old, some of y'all think I'm a baby, either way, okay? When I proposed to my wife March 29th, 2003, we were in Charleston, South Kakalaki. She was on a, a choir concert with her college deal. I surprised her. I was singing at the bat. Uh, I, I came down to the battery. I was dressed in a tuxedo. I had my guitar out. She thought I was some poor guy, you know, making music for money. I had my back to her. She's walking up and I start singing, you are so beautiful to me. She walks up. She sees me. I watch. She goes, oh, Travis. And her friends, you know, scatter and run off, whatever. And so I, I sit her down there, right there at the battery. If you've ever been there, you know, those swings there on that pier, right? You walk out there, sitting on one of those swings out there. It's real late. And I said, hey, I, I brought you to this place for one purpose only. And she said, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I said, right out there, I want you to look out there in that water. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, the Ashley Rock, the Ashley River empties out right there, and the Cooper River empties out there. These two smaller bodies of water come together and make something bigger on their own than they ever could on, 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 by their, themselves. And I said, the reason I brought you here is that I believe marriage is when two people come together to do more for the kingdom of God than what they could on their own. That's the point of it. 
It's not to say, let's get two rivers and see how much they can fight against each other, right? Okay? Let's see if I can get you go join my thing. No, no, no. Marriage is about let's come together and to help, I would say, replenish what has been taken by sin in our lives to be who God has called us to be. God formed you a certain way. He's filled you with certain things. And even if you have lived the last few decades of your life busted and broken, and you feel like, I don't know what you say, your story's not over, and I know that because you're here tonight. you still got some chapters left. So that means that where you are right now, single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever it is, you step back and say, okay, how has God formed me? How has he filled me? And if I'm married, how has he formed my spouse? And how has he filled my spouse? And what is the best? What is the best? We're going to look at next week. As when you come alongside and you start saying, how can I be a suitable helper to who God has called my spouse to be? Because I will say this, you will either help your spouse be who God's called them to be or you will hinder it. One of the two options. And many of us right now, we, we need some support. And what marriage is intended to say is that there's a support system. When did Satan come on the scene? Marriage was instituted. Let me see if I can break that up. Because he knows if it's done right, if you look at the way that God has formed you, the way he's filled you, it could be so much damage to what he is doing. And I promise you this, even though marriage has been distorted and tarnished in our society, and I, yes, I know the challenges, and we'll talk about all the difficulties there, in God's design, the way he formed it, the way he filled it, it is a good and wonderful thing. It was made by him, and it's also made for him. You make it about anything else, it's not going to work. It won't fit in the hole. You get to this place where you say it's made by him, made for him. So, Father, we ask tonight, that as we think about marriage, about how you formed it, how you filled it, and just sort of thinking big picture here, we've got to get back to the place that we realize that marriage was made by you and for you. So if we make it and think that we made it by ourselves and it is for our happiness or for our enjoyment or for our financial security or for our needs being met or for some type of reputation, when all of those things fall apart, we walk away from the marriage because it's not about you. Marriage only works when you're the centerpiece of it. And the moment that we put anything else in the centerpiece, it, it messes up. You have formed it. You have filled it. You have formed us. You have filled us. And so, God, I pray that over these next few weeks, as we really focus in on what marriage is supposed to be, that we would get back down to this place. Our marriage is meant to display your likeness, to experience your presence in the garden, to be able to know you and to know you closely be able to reflect your image so that our spouse can see a picture of you, so that our kids can see a picture of you, that our neighbors can see a picture of you. There are people who cannot understand the love of a God for us that they can look at the way that we love our spouses and say, now I get it. There's someone who would lay their life down for that person, someone who is willing to suffer harm before that person would suffer harm. This is what you called us. This is what you formed us to do. This is what you filled us are capable to do. But Lord, we need your help. We've distorted it. We've messed it up so much. So God, give us the strength to take the gift of marriage and to continue to walk in it above all else. So in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.